Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 8 of our live show, Buck Betting and Farmland and CRP Fields. Me and Dan really got into some good stuff in this podcast. I think you're really going to enjoy it. There's a little bit of um, bits of knowledge in here for everybody. Uh, so I hope you enjoy it. With that, Got to thank my sponsors, the first one being Stealth Outdoors. Lou and the crew at Stealth Outdoors make the, the best silencing tape on the market, um, not only for the mobile hunter, but for any hunter. You can use it for all kinds of things. I have it all over my bow, um, yeah, all over my camera gear, all over my tree stand, my sticks. Get you some stealth strips on StealthOutdoors.com. Um, you're supporting a great company and a great person. Also got to thank Exodus Outdoors makes the best trail camera in industry in my opinion and they also go above and beyond for their customers always producing all kinds of great content really involved in that aspect of the business and making sure you're using the trail cameras in a better way um, in the most efficient way uh, those guys got some awesome podcasts as well that you should go check out on their platform trail cam radio the deer gear podcast uh, the land podcast that jake puts on um, all kinds of good stuff for anybody in any any type of a deer hunter you are. So they also have some cool stuff coming down the line. So be sure to keep an eye out at ExodusOutdoorGear.com and get you some trail cameras. With that, let's get into the episode. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Show number eight. Dan, how's it going? I'm alive. Hotter than hell. So you're in your little, yeah, it's hot down here today's in the 90s. But uh, uh, as I was sitting here watching our intro, I got to thinking, uh, if you guys don't mind, put where you're from in the comments. I think that'd be pretty neat to see. I know we had uh, people from all over, so I think it'd be a good, a good topic of conversation in the, in the uh, comments. And if you're new, go ahead and subscribe to the channel. And if you want to ask a question, just uh, post something in the comments. Also, trying something new. Uh, I was a little scared to do this, so um, uh, we're going to give it a try. But I, if you if you look at the top of the comment section, you see a, a few messages from me. Sorry about that. I didn't realize they would split all these up. Um, but you can copy that Streamyard link into your either your phone or your web browser, and that that'll get you into our live stream. And then you can come in live. So a lot of people don't have Facebook and whatnot. So that kind of solves that problem. So anybody that wants to ask a question when we get to the Q&A, just copy and paste that link into your Internet Explorer, Google Chrome, whatever. And then uh, you can you can get in here. Uh, you'll show up at the bottom. You won't actually come in. I'll have to actually let you in. Um, just keep it clean if you can. And uh, um, yeah, what's been going on, Dan? Not much. Did uh, before we got to talking, we were we got to talking about your you're putting a new building up, kind of to have some um, I don't know. We had workshops and stuff, places to places to go like that. Yeah, yeah, got to be a little bit of a nightmare. Yeah, sounds like uh, you're gonna have it without doors for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the whole uh, everything is just screwed up right now with the, the economy and. Uh, our leadership and stuff and just buying something so hard. But, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, bought it from Menards. I ordered it online and, uh, it was quite a bit of money. I've been saving for, for a little while and, uh, 
you design it online, you know, and, and then uh, I go down there with the design number. I give it to them and uh, they ring it up and they, they have to ring up what's in the store first, like the, the lumber portion. Then they ring up the, the metal portion, which is at some other place. And then they ring up the um, roofing or whatever the, you know, gussets or whatever they're called separately too. And uh, it wouldn't ring up. And they're like, it won't work. You know, and this, this guy was obviously new and he just kept trying and trying and trying. It was taking forever. And I had Carol with me. We we're going to go out to eat. She's getting pissy right. about it. You know? and, and I'm just like, come on, you know, and I had to wait in a long line to get up there. So then finally, uh, he, I says, just call your manager or something, you know. So he calls over to his manager and the manager comes over and he's like, oh, this is simple. You're just not doing this right. So he compiles all this stuff all over again. It takes like a half an hour, rings it up. He's like, huh, won't work. Because I've never seen this before. So he calls some other guy over, and that guy does the same thing, compiles everything, takes him a half an hour, rings everything up. It won't work. It won't take it. He says, everything's there, but it won't take it. And then some young girl looked like she was about 17 or 18 walks by. That's what works there, but young girl, right? Right. And she glances over while she's walking by, and she goes, Oh, he's got the gussets wrong or whatever. He's got an overhang and he's got it made to the overhang. You got to shrink those up and then it'll work. And she walks past and they go in there and they try it and it works. <laughs> so then I think I'm done, you know, because they ring it up. And then they're like, no, 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 you got to arrange shipping. So they take me in the back and I got to arrange shipping with this guy. And there's a line back there and that takes forever. And that guy, he was nice enough to consolidate things. And tell me he could arrange things to arrive on the same days and stuff. But then he gets to the doors and he's like, the doors are coming in, um, in August. And I'm like, August, I need, I, you know, what am I supposed to do with a building with no doors? Cause I'm having the, the building's going to be here, in, you know, 15 days. Right. And he's like, well, there's nothing we can do about it. There's a door shortage right now. Uh, they can't get them done. And that's how long it is out. He says every day that gets longer and longer and longer. And he says, the longer you take to order them, the longer it takes you to get them, and the doors are to hang up right now. Hmm. I said, all right, whatever. Send them when you get them. He says, okay, it'll be mid-September or mid-August. So I'm like, okay. So he gives me all the paperwork finally, and I got to take this stuff up to the register now. I don't get to pay for it back there. I got to go to the register. Ring it up, pay for it. So I go to the registers, and there's just huge lines. So I sit there in this huge line to get up to the register, and then she rings all this stuff up. I take my credit card and put it in there, and it says denied. So I'm like, let's try it again. Cancel it out. Put it in there. Denied. So I'm like, try just ringing up a, a monster there, you know, one of those white ones. So yeah. Ring a white monster and rings up fine. So I'm like, call your manager over. So she calls the manager over. I'm like, I got, you know, this is my debit card. I says, I got, you know, plenty of money in there. I says, but it won't ring up. She goes, oh, well, there's a limit on that. You're, you're trying to buy something that's too expensive. I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do? And she's like, well, you can write a check. I'm like, I don't have my checkbook with me. She's like, well, come back tomorrow. I'm like, all right. So I grab the paperwork and stuff and I go home. <laughs> the next day I come in there um, with a checkbook and I look for that same girl in line. I go get in her line, wait all the way through this stupid line, get up there. She rings the stuff up and she says, or it won't ring up. She goes to ring it. She goes, um, it says these orders were canceled. 
I'm like, they're not canceled. Yeah. I said, try the other one. So she tries the other one. She says, it's canceled. I'm like, get your manager over here. She turns this light on and we sit there for 15 minutes till this manager gets over there. So the manager comes over and he's like, what's the problem? And I'm like, these things won't ring up. And he's like, well, when did you order these? When did you order this building? I says, yesterday. He says, you can't buy it today. You got to buy it yesterday. He says, "Uh, the wood prices and the metal prices go up and down daily. They're fluctuating. So we cancel all outstanding orders at the end of the day. I said, well, your manager yesterday didn't know that. He goes, well, maybe he didn't, but you got, you got to, you know, buy it the day you order it. He goes, the only thing we can do is throw these out, go in the back, reorder it. I'm like, you've got to be kidding. So I go in the back, it's new people, you know, yeah. go back, reorder this building, go through the whole rigmarole again. And um, the price changes like by, like three thousand dollars and nobody knows why so i'm wondering what the hell the deal is with that but finally we get this thing ordered and i gotta go back to shipping it's a new guy in shipping too and that guy says i don't care what that guy did the other day i'm not consolidating your shipping you're paying for each one of these if you want this building that ain't my problem so now my shipping goes way up right oh my gosh and uh he says okay you're gonna get the doors in october mid-October. I go, wait a second. The doors are supposed to be coming mid-September. And he goes, or mid-August. And he goes, well, that was yesterday. He goes, every day it gets worse. I mean, you're kidding me. I mean, it's not my fault. And he's like, I can't do nothing about it. This, the, You're in a line, you know, and now today you're in this line. So I get all this paperwork for my doorless building. And <laughs> I go up to the front to, to pay for it. I find my same lady. I get in her line. I wait through this whole line, even though it's a longer line, because I want to make sure it's something that right. had a little bit of experience with what's going on, right? So I get up there, and she looks at me. Before I even say anything, she goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, not <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's still frustrating, though. So I hand her the paperwork, and I go, well, I got a checkbook now. This should work out. We should be fine. So she rings it up. She goes, okay, it's working. I'm like, good. She rings them all up, sets them down. She's okay, $7,000, 200 bucks. And I'm like, mm. as much as I would like to pay that. Yeah. This building costs 27,000 something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'd like the whole building. Right. Like, well, I rang everything up. I'm like, do you remember me coming through your line yesterday? She was, yeah. I remember what the price was. She was, yeah, it was like 26,000. I said, yeah. And it went up today. It's like 27 something. And she's like, Okay, I'll ring it again. So she rings everything up again and she goes, Oh, you're right, it is higher. It's 13,000. And I'm like, No, it's not. <laughs> and she's like, Everything's on here. You have everything ordered. I'm like, It has it, it on, a, on a side, it has everything, you know, separately listed. Yeah. I'm like, Look at this item right here. It's more than what you're trying to charge me for the whole thing. She goes, But we ring that up. I go, I just don't want to be coming back after me. I don't want to not pay for something that I, you know, I don't have or right. pay for and I don't have it coming or whatever. I just want to pay for what I have here. And she's like, I'll ring it again. She rings it again. She just keeps getting that 13,000, whatever it was, you know, 12,800 or whatever. And she keeps ringing it up and it comes up to the same thing. So I'm like, get the manager over here. So she gets the manager over there. And the manager says, what's the problem? I explained it to him. And he goes, well, that ain't right. Because you see right here, it's more than that. 
So he goes and he rings it up. He goes, oh, it's all taken. He goes, yeah, $13,000. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. I says, look at this item right here. He goes, oh, that ain't right. I'm like, as much as I'd like to pay $13,000, I'd like to get everything. And he's like, yeah, but this isn't us. That's something they did in the back. And you're going to have to go back there and have them redo these orders. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, you can't fix this. And he's like, no, it's nothing I can do. You're going to have to go back and talk to those guys. So I go back there and they're sitting there for like two or three hours trying to figure out why it wants to charge me $13,000. Finally, they took and that that young girl was there again. Yeah. The smart one again. Yeah. <laughs> Knew what she was doing. Goes, well, all you have to do is everything's on here. Charge them individually for everything. Every one thing. So right down to the damn screws. <laughs> I had a receipt that was like like 20 feet long. Yeah. Literally. Like your CBS. My price went up like $3,000 and I don't know why. So hopefully I don't have the wrong rafters again or whatever it was. Mm. So, yeah, I guess time will tell. Yeah. That's probably yeah. how shootings occur. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. People just get tired of it. Yeah. Uh, uh, sounds like uh, we uh, we're, we had this on a Tuesday this week because I'm leaving for Ohio Thursday morning and then Dan and Rick are we were going to do it Wednesday, but then Dan and Rick are going to go turkey hunting tomorrow, I think. No, yeah. so, you guys, you guys' season starts on a Wednesday, or does it? How's yeah, that work? Okay. Wednesday to Tuesday. Uh, we have week-long uh, seasons. There's gotcha. like five so, or six of them. So uh, I'm going to help Rick um, tomorrow, and then I got a couple more tags, too. But uh, right, I'd love to see Rick get some action. Yeah, for sure. Sounds like you got some turkeys running around. What I really want to do is I want to get him aiming down on one, a big one, like trash bag. Yep. Right when he's going to shoot it, I want to bump him. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, he'll he'll wonder why you're sitting so close to him. Yeah, I hope he ain't watching this. Now, I don't see him on here. He's usually putting his two cents in in the comment section. Um, it's pretty cool to get on here because you got I got like it's like a community on here now. Everybody it's on and uh, chit chats so. Yeah, Eric um, and Dave, if you're out there, don't be telling him now that I'm going to push him on. Yeah, Dave's on here. Um, yeah, I had a uh, surprising turkey hunt this weekend. Um, I was out filming that CRP video I did, a farmland CRP bedding video, and ended up shooting a turkey. So um, my season's over in Indiana. Kind of, I don't usually shoot one the first uh, that first week there. But uh, anyway, we uh, we do have some breaking news this week, and it may be something we can you could probably have a whole podcast on this. But I saw in Maine there are a um, a group of guys that are suing the state of Maine for the Sunday hunting rule to try to get that overturned. So um, that's something that I guess just popped up in the last week or two. Pretty interesting, really. Yeah. I've been hearing a lot about that. A lot of people have been contacting me, asking me if I could do anything about it. And it's like, well, what can I do? You know, but uh, yeah. it is so stupid that they can't hunt on Sundays. You know, you only have weekends, a lot of people, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like I, I was on a podcast. Uh, it's been a while ago now. They're from Pennsylvania and they're, they were, we got to talk about Sunday hunting on there. And I guess it's like, it was like a religious thing back in the day that they just never have changed. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it 
that's that'd be pretty I rough. Get it. You know, when I was a kid, it was you know a lot of things were like that. Not not really hunting, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of things you didn't do on Sundays. I mean, you yeah you couldn't find an open gas station or anything when I was a kid on a Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, things have changed a lot, but some of those places still have those archaic rules and traditions and stuff with with hunting. Yeah. Yeah, I feel for those guys. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, working five days a week and then you, you know, you only get, you get your two days and then your one day's taken away. It, it'd be rough. This is I mean, not all about, Some people have different schedules, you know what I mean? And Yeah, uh, yeah. And yeah. for a lot of people, all you have is Saturday and Sunday, you know, and, and they're trying to compete with the guys that have every evening or, you know, and then they yeah. Sunday, and then all you have is a Saturday. Yeah, and I think those guys. I think from in PA, and I'm this is me just remembering months ago here, but they were saying that they did allow some this year, but like it was certain, uh, like certain things that would could hunt on Sunday. Like one one Sunday was squirrel or something like that, and then I think the deer guys had a Sunday or something like that. Maybe someone in the um, someone in the comments from PA, there's a few people from PA can comment on that. But yeah, they were they were telling me yeah, it was kind of. They actually like maybe it was going to be this cool thing where you get some Sundays, but then they open it up just to score hunters or just to, you know, um, certain so people. Who, who's against it? That's what I'd like to know is, is who, you know, other than maybe anti hunters who are against all hunting, who's against yeah. Sundays? Is it the churches or, or what? I th- I, 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 yeah, I think back, it's from back in the day when the, um, you know, the state was more ran by whatever popular religious group was in that state, whether it be like Mennonite type stuff, or I don't know what it was. Um, but anyway, that's, that's what they told me. It's just a, like an old, old tradition. That's still, um, still around. If there anybody's on here from, you know, one of those areas, I'd like to know who, who are the people who are arguing this? Yeah. If anybody's, uh, anybody's in the comments and knows something about it, let me know. We can have you call in and talk about it. Um, but yeah, it's, I'm, I'm, we're lucky we live where we do, I guess. You could you could have got the short end of the stick and half your hunting time could be gone. You know, that's the thing, too, you know, like all that traveling people do like like myself. You can find yourself in a pickle where you go into the state and don't even think about, you know, if Sundays are open. You just assume, you know, because from yeah. yeah. you know. Oh, yeah, you guys you guys were in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, Move Outdoors, I'm not sure. He, he must be from PA, but he said uh, – those against it now are the Pennsylvania Farm Bureau. They strongly oppose it and carry a lot of weight. And I think that's like the probably insurance stuff, right? Uh, move outdoors. Farmers or, or insurance? I'd say it's insurance. But, yep. Yeah, you always hear, like, I always hear people talk about how much influence insurance people have over the um, hunting regulations. I don't. I don't know how true it is, or if that's just like speculation. Um, but when I, I was a fam- kid, when okay. I was a kid, uh, um, there was a swamp up the street from me, and uh, it was well known for the big bucks in there. It was a real dense, nasty swamp, and a lot of it was private. Matter of fact, the, the absolute majority of it was private. Yeah, but most of the people there would let you hunt back in those days. So you could you had to ask, but you'd ask, and they'd usually be like, "Well, okay," you know, or they'd say, "I have too many people, but if you come next week, or you know, something like that." Yeah. Uh, one one property owner owned a lot of the property. He just let just about anybody hunt there, and a lot of people hunted there. And there's old wooden stands up there all over the place and stuff. 
and some guy, some kid went out there and hunted and um, fell through an old wooden stand that had uh, rotting boards and uh, ended up breaking his back and uh, getting paralyzed. And he sued the farmer mm-hmm. and, uh, and his insurance. And uh, that insurance company, from the way I understood it, covered all the farmers in the whole area. I mean, they had like 90% of the claims. And they made a rule that if you let somebody hunt on your property, you lose your insurance. You know, really? They would, and everybody just instantly, no more permission. Mm. That's what it was kind of cool when uh, when Walker got in office in Wisconsin. He enacted a law that you can't sue a landowner because you get hurt on his land. See, before him, you could. Which is kind of stupid. I mean, you go out there and you get hurt. It's really on your on you. You know, yeah. you wouldn't be able to sue. So I, I really like that law. He did a lot of good things. He never really got a lot of credit because they only really promoted the bad things he did, uh, or what they viewed as bad. But uh, but that was one of the good things. What what he also did was, um, if you leased land, if you paid more than if you paid more than nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars, I mean. It's nine hundred ninety-nine dollars. I think it's if you pay a thousand or more. Yeah. You um, now the liability falls back on the farmer or the landowner, the person you're mm-hmm. leasing. So a lot of the leases, um, the people that are savvy with that law, will charge you nine hundred ninety-nine dollars. Hmm. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think I got that number right. Maybe I got the number wrong, but something. Yeah, like something like that, though. Yeah. Steve Huffman said that in uh, West Virginia, uh, you can only hunt Sundays on private land, so can't hunt public on Sundays. What that must make sense at all? Like, what, what does that matter? I guess, but no, stupid man. We all own public land. I mean, it's the same. Yeah. As private. It's just that it's yeah. I don't know. There's a well. That's like in. I'm probably going to go out to South Dakota this year and hunt. Uh, in that early season and I have to find private land out there. I guess I can't, I guess as a non-resident, I can't hunt public land in September out there. Really? Yep. Yep. You can, you can hunt private land, but, but not public. Um, I think there's some draws and stuff I could have put in for, but um, I know some people out there. So hopefully I can get on some uh, private. If not, I just won't go, but I hunted a, a, place that had some really big bucks on it in Illinois years and years ago, um, Panther Creek, Edgar Allen Creek or something like that. Yeah. Uh, in Western Illinois. And that's a public area, but I couldn't hunt it during rut, but I could hunt it any other time. I could hunt it during rut if I applied, but only residents could hunt it during rut. Uh, and then you mean like, pick- what did they mean by rut? Like, are they saying like the first week in November? You oh, they, had, they, they had it down to dates. I don't remember what the dates were. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I could yeah. get in there prior to that and hunt. Which is what I did. Hmm. So there's That's crazy weird rules all over the place. Yeah, you you have to be careful. I mean, especially when you're going somewhere different. If you just pop on some public land or something, you got to really make sure sure of yourself. We got yeah. a lot of we got a lot of areas here in Indiana, and this I'm just thinking about this because it's turkey season here. But mm-hmm. there's some of like um, federal ground that kind of mixes in with state ground and you know, turkey hunting, you got to cut off at 1 p.m. on the federal land. And, but, but it's like, it's like in the middle of the, the state, you know, the, the, it's like a lake essentially that 
runs into the, the state ground. And if you're on the, the reservoirs property, you're, you got to stop hunting at one. And, but if you're on the state ground, you can keep hunting and it's, it's like, man, it's, you can get to pay attention where you're at. And, um, yeah, you can, you can, uh, walk yeah, into so when, I, when I was in Indiana, um, hunting with you, um, we hunted some, um, basically public land and then the onyx it showed it as public but you had to have a permit to hunt on that land specifically yep but based on what i saw on onyx i would have probably just walked under and hunted yeah there's all kinds of rules myself in trouble <laughs> right yep yeah there's all kinds of rules. you can't use trail cameras you can't um you can't be there after dark i mean there's a lot of a lot of stuff uh yeah it's not it's not posted anywhere like on onyx you just you just could go you know um where I hunt in Minnesota, I can uh, I can uh, uh, use trail cameras for bear hunting if I'm hunting on federal ground. Mm-hmm. If I'm hunting on state ground, I cannot. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't find that out till recently, and I've been using cameras the whole time, but I've always been on federal ground. Right. Yeah. I never saw that in the rule books or anything, but if you dig far enough, you can find it. Somebody pointed it out to me. You meant you were always on state ground. I'm always on federal. Okay, federal's where you don't have to. You, you can use trail cameras then. Correct. Oh, hmm. usually federal seems like it's always stricter for some reason, but um, or at least with the turkey hunting thing, it is. But uh, yeah, I was going to tell I was going to tell everybody too. Now there's a lot of people on. Um, some people were complaining about how long these are, and this is just how it is. This is a, a podcast show, so it's going to be a little bit longer. But I'm going to start putting clips on the uh, channel, just like little segments on them uh, from inside the videos, the long videos so that people don't want to can't watch the whole thing. They can pick and choose what they watch from the titles of the clips. So just be looking for that. I got some scheduled coming up here this week. So I, I, um, I would think you can always, I mean, if you can't watch the whole thing, you can cut out, you can yeah, it later or you can, you, you know, whatever. I got people too that tell me mine are too long. I got them that tell me they're, you know, on my videos. Some people tell me they're too long. Some people tell me they're too short. They're, you know, and I, I just kind of go with what I like, you know, and if, you know, I don't know about you, Josh, but if people don't like that, I guess whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I just, I think it's a good idea to even wait anyway, just for the channel to have some other stuff on during the week. It's not hard for me to just clip things out of here and throw them up for people. That, Interesting clips are cool too. You can go back yeah. and refer to them, you know? Yeah. And I like, like yesterday I put up, Scott Buckley talking about Ted Nugent, just people would like that probably, you know, so they, if they want to just hear that, they can click on that or whatever. Um, and it brings new people in if they see that, you know, and uh, then they can join the, the live chats then. Um, but yeah, I should probably, I always say uh, the comment stuff at the, at the beginning when there's like 15 people on and then when everybody's on here, I don't, I don't mention anything, but leave a comment and subscribe if you got any questions, um, put them in the comments. And then at the very top of the comment section, you have to scroll all the way up. There's a link there now. And you can copy and paste that to get into the live chat um, during the Q&A if you have any questions you want to ask live on the channel. Um, I was thinking about that yesterday. I'm like, man, I could say all this stuff when like there's most of the people are not on yet. Uh, anyway, Dan, let's get into our, our topic. We've been chit-chatting about everything um, for long enough now. Uh, I put a I put a video up uh, on the Hunt and Beast the other day um, about CRP bedding. I mean, it's not something that like gets talked about a whole lot. I guess I don't know I don't know really why. Maybe 
obviously you guys, um, is there, is there much CRP ground, um, up there in Wisconsin? I didn't run into anyone. I was up there, but there's some, it's not as much as other States, but just some in, in, um, I often refer to just uh, overgrown fields of CRP, even though they're not really CRP. Yep, yep. And I've I've been fortunate, um, and if I'm I'm really honest, I haven't killed that many deer in my CRP field that we're on we have on private. Um, it's probably I don't know, it's maybe thirty acres of, of CRP, but it's uh, it's going away this year. The farmer called me and told me that they're going to put it in the crops, so all, all that uh, all that CRP is going to be gone. Um, but there's always do what is that the spot where I hunt? Yep. Yeah. You you went there. Um, he essentially just told me that it's not paying enough to justify keeping it in there, which kind of a shame because there's all kinds of like quail and stuff that we don't have much of in Indiana. It's all, you know, there's all kinds of kind of cool stuff that lives in there, but I mean, I, I get it. They're trying to, you know, they're running a business, so they're not in it for, uh, uh, the quails, I guess. So, <laughs> um, and the deer, they're definitely not in it for the deer, but, uh, yeah. Uh, it's a spot, it's a spot, uh, CRP ground. I mean, I guess, like you said, it's just overgrown fields is essentially what we're talking about here. Um, and I've seen them a lot on public land down in Kentucky. There's a lot of, there's quite a bit of CRP down there on public land. I don't know if it's called CRP on public land, but the overgrown fields down in Kentucky, um, it seems like a real popular thing down there, and I hunt them a lot down there. And I've killed a couple of deer in Kentucky in CRP ground. Um, and I honestly like uh, I learned a lot from you on CRP ground, whatever. Been been quite a few years ago now um, that you know me and my family hunted that CRP, and we hunted it you know the same exact way the for for years and years there. And um, yeah, I, it was interesting to whenever I started putting pieces together and understanding it um you know we were we were hunting inside the crp but we'd only hunt and you know there's a there's some big trees in there that you can fit a nice stand on you know and all that it's the only time we only place we'd hunt it um and it really i started having more uh productive hunts inside the crp when i you know started mobile hunting all the time essentially with a you know um, a mobile setup and getting into those small trees in the CRP and whatnot. So I was going to ask you, and I know the answer to this now, but um, if, if a guy was going to walk into a, you know, a 30 or 40 acre CRP field, what, what type of areas draw you into those CRP fields? That there's, you've seen the, there's several the things that in. draw me into there. Um, one thing that wouldn't would be exactly the same flat, just open grass. Um, what draws me in is elevations and terrain. So most CRP fields will have certain areas that get a little brushier and get a little bit different plant life in there. You know, uh, they'll have little uh, like areas of uh, where it got a little brush started to grow in before they, you know, get it cut or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously those will be pockets where deer will bed or where a tree grows out there like an island, right? So the same mm -hmm. thing, like uh, if you looked out at cattails, what would you look for? You'd look for an edge, you'd look for a transition, you'd look for a high spot, a low spot, right? So in that in that CRP grass, I think uh, one of the main rules is highest elevation, lowest elevation. Not quite the top, 
but a leeward side, even though it's, you know, maybe not, you know, steep ridges, but it only has to be like a 10 foot elevation. Your leeward sides, your tree lines are huge, but they'll like to get up a little bit higher than the rest of it and sit in there and watch out over it. They like to get in a spot where they can see or smell you coming. And what's interesting is I've seen CRP fields where you see deer and they always bed in the same spots. You come through to the next year, the same time frames, and you kick bucks and deer in general from the same exact spots. And what's interesting is you go in there and one year the whole thing gets mowed flat or they burn it and they cut all the brush. So the brush that was acting as bedding and everything is gone. And then that year there isn't even any grass in there from the bedding or nothing. And the next year it grows back and those deer end up right where they were two years prior. I've even seen it where they've shifted them to fields and grown crops in them for a while and then going back to CRP and the deer start bedding over the years right back in the exact same spots. So it probably has a little bit to do with wind flow, how how, um, how the uh, thermals act in there and stuff with the hills and the slopes and how the wind goes over that. Um, but they really like the edges. They like a spot in there where they can see you coming. They like the spots that are overlooked. So I see them in CRP a lot, right real close to where everybody accesses, where they can watch the axis. The one thing that kills CRP that makes it bad is when you have like pheasant hunting or yeah. uh, something like that where guys are marching through there with shotguns. Because if it's just deer hunting terrain, um, generally people just walk right past that stuff, especially at tree lines and stuff like that. Um, we're dural bed and watch what's going on and know when you're on the property. Yeah. Um, I, something else that I think is hard uh, with CRP is um, a lot of times, like, they, I don't know, there's a lot of food inside the CRP too. So they don't, I don't know. I don't see them. A lot of times the deer don't kind of, they kind of just mingle around sometimes. I've, I've watched deer a lot of times in CRP just kind of get up, mingle around, eat whatever's around them. And they just don't, it's not like they, they don't have anywhere to go real fast in there. It doesn't seem like to me. Um, yeah, it's interesting because you hear people talk all the time about what's the preferred, preferred food on the property. Where, where, you know, where are they eating? And yeah. That's always been like an aggravation of mine when people talk like that because, yeah, they usually got a food that's a destination, but they might not get there till hours after dark. They just eat everything. They're yeah. like eating machines. Um, I've watched them in cattails where you don't think it's nothing but cattails and they dig their heads down and start eating and stuff as you're walking on the trail and you get down later. And if you look close, there's moss and stuff down at the, you know, ground level. Yeah. Um, there's always stuff for them to eat. They eat just about anything, mushrooms, they eat plants, you know, it's, we've, we've got video footage of them eating dry cattails. Hmm. You know, them things can just eat and digest anything. They're like a billy goat. So they'll stay in those areas and just feed until dark you know right probably got a destination they're heading off to right and that's why we we get in there so close and we try to cut that destination off but knowing that they're feeding along the way you know they're not going to get very far in daylight so you have to get that that close in there so for, for me really um that crp my first thing would be you want you want to pre-scout it walk those tree lines look at the beds you can see the beds in the grass 
mm-hmm. you know, see where they've been betting. So if you had a pre-scouted, would be number one. Um, number two would be to spend a day or two in a spot where you know, maybe you could kill a deer, but it's probably not your best spot. But you can see everything, and no deer is going to get winded by you. No deer is going to see you or spot you. But you're in a high elevated spot where you can watch everything. Really an observation stand. CRP fields are what observation stands are made for. You watch mm-hmm. those deer do the same thing, you know, a couple days or whatever. You wait for the right wind, and you figure out where you can get in there. Now, for, from the standpoint of knowing where the beds are is one thing. But when you get up in a tree and you watch those deer come in and out of there, you start to realize there's little vulnerable spots in there that you didn't really see by eye on the ground. But, okay, you can get behind this hill here. You can hide here. And, oh, there's a deer bedded up there that if I approached over there, he'd see me. You know, you start seeing where they're at and what they can do. And you come up with a game plan from a distance actually watching the deer. I think that's huge. And a lot of my better deer that I've shot in open terrain have been from observations and then moving in for the kill. That's exactly how I, well, I shot at a buck uh, in Indiana early season on like October 4th this year. I I had a uh, preset stand kind of in the back of the CRP field, just over a real tiny uh, clover plot. And, uh, yeah, I watched, uh, I watched two bucks get up and uh, probably 150 yards away, and they walked across into this bean field um, in plenty of daylight left when they did this. So then I kind of, I, uh, I knew I, I had a good idea where they were bedding at. I just, I thought I was hoping maybe they'd be coming to the, the clover and they, they were going to this, the beans that were still green. And I, uh, I ended up, uh, the next day going and sitting on the edge of the bean field, looking into the CRP field, um, around the area where those deer crossed the fence to go into the beans. And again, exact same bed, the same two bucks got up again. And, um, but th- this time they just mingled around and, and didn't, didn't make it to the, um, to the beans. Um, and then the next day I had a complete different wind where I could not set up on the beans or, you know, between them and the beans, I had to, I had to get on the other side of them and I ended up, and there was no trees in the CRP field on the other side. So I ended up belly crawling up to the bedding area. And uh, I ended up crawling real close to him. It was kind of windy, and I got got set up on real close. And they came out of the same bedding area again. And um, yeah, it's the the CRP field we had on that property was just they had mowed it that year, and it was thick. And I misjudged how thick it was. And I just whenever whenever the buck came out, um, you know, I thought I thought I had a kind of a hole I could shoot through, and I it just I don't know if the arrow made it to the deer, but um it was it was crazy how patternable patternable they were in there that time of year um i mean that was their home and they were both of them were in there so i don't know that was i learned a lot during that hunt even though i you know i didn't kill one i just um learned a lot of 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 how um you know how to hunt one down whenever you're on one stay on them Um, so there's a uh overgrown field on dave's farm Mm-hmm. It goes from where you access to the back, and in the middle of it is the lowest spot. So it goes uphill from from the middle out, right? Mm-hmm. So you go downhill to the to the middle, you know, and then up. And down the lowest spot is a typical 
area where the uh, in the tree line where it's the lowest elevation and there's always something good beds there. And then the tree lines up on the elevations just to, just almost to the highest elevation have deer there. And then the third spot he has bedding there. And this is typical everywhere I go. But the third spot is the one that I really like. It's unique. Is he had a uh, 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 guy come out there and help him with something with a, with a tractor. And the guy had some um, seed on his tractor that got knocked off the tractor when he was, oh, yeah. he was clearing it. And there's just a little patch of, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the word of that real tall grass that, like switchgrass or something? Yeah, switchgrass. Got knocked there. And it's just this little patch that ended up uh, expanding slowly. And now it's probably the size of like uh, 20 feet across. And there's a tree that grew up into it. You know, that's probably about three inches around, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, every year for the last 15 years, that's been the spot where Jiro bed there. When you come in from the farm on a west wind, your wind blows right in there and you get out of the vehicle, you'll watch that buck get out of there, sneak out of there and run off. You know, and uh, you go in there after season and just look at those beds sitting in there where they can just smell you coming into that farm. So, you know, I, I would go in a roundabout way knowing that they're there and hunted in from a different direction. But uh, real interesting stuff. I mean, it's it's not as haphazard as what people think. There's a reason for everything they do, whether yeah. it's CRP or not. And if you start looking at the beds and you get out there and you actually walk through CRP in the off season and look at the beds and think about why they're there, why they're where they're at, what are the thermals doing? What's the wind doing? You know, which direction you look at the shape of the bed, which direction are they facing? You'll learn a lot because you're going to start saying, well, wait a second. This is pretty smart, actually. Yeah. You know, and I think I think why I like it so much is like it's essentially a lot like hunting uh, your guys is like cattail marshes up in um, in Wisconsin, you know, and I you guys I think I've heard you say this before, like uh, a cattail marsh is a, a real good place to like learn deer because, you know, everything's everything's sign is easy to see uh, and there's some real obvious areas where they're going to be. Um, so I think if you if a, if a guy can find a good CRP field. I think, I don't know if you guys remember, I'm sure you guys do remember this because it was pretty popular when it happened, but those, uh, the hunting public guys found that buck nest whenever they were the Midwest whitetails still. I don't know if you remember that, but they, uh, they say, I think that, I think they may have even talked to you about this, Dan, but you may not remember, but, um, it was in a CRP field and those bucks kept just popping up and these little, um, you know, a, couple of trees that were in the middle of the, the CRP and yeah. in, in a low area it looked like, but I always thought that was a good example too of CRP ground. See, that's one of the things, you, you know, you talk about like um, marshes and stuff being good and stuff, but you got to trust a little. Yeah. But you're not seeing that deer till it's underneath you, right? Yeah. That's what really good things about CRP is you can go set up there and you can see for a long ways. Yeah. So I wouldn't want CRP type areas or open terrain without a pair of binoculars. Yeah, for sure. binoculars with me every time I hunt. Some people do, mm -hmm. but a lot of the terrain I hunt, you ain't seeing a deer until it's 20 yards from you. Yeah. You, know, so you, gotta, you just got to trust in your setups. But in CRP, you can see a long ways, so you can literally be scouting while you're hunting, and that mm -hmm. is a huge advantage. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, that's what happened to me exactly last year. Whenever I mean, I, I should have killed that stupid deer, but um, I probably would if I would have been more patient, I may have gotten a better shot at him. But um, now I've hunted some CRP in Kentucky that I've had deer walk up to me and I couldn't see them until they're underneath me. So uh, that would be more like a, I guess your that'd be more like your um, example of a. Um, of a marsh but it down there you know they get a little longer growing season too to where you know it's probably growing from march until um, whenever september when i was in there so well we, we kind of seen that on the mississippi video i mean did you see the yeah you know, like, that's true that, that was yeah. just like real brushy you know you ain't mm-hmm. seen it here it's really more of a logged area but it really was just brush it hadn't been cut for two years you know they cut the trees out there and then it grows in and you know but the, the same advantage to, that you have of seeing deer, though, yeah, from a distance, you got to remember yeah. they can see you for a distance. Yeah, yeah. You really have to plan your approaches and think about what trees you're getting in and how high you're getting and, you know, how you're climbing them. Like, uh, that's where my approach is coming from the back of the tree and using the tree to block me, climbing the tree, yeah. and really being careful to put the tree stand around the front of the tree and slowly slide around the tree into the tree stand. Because all you have to do is have those deer sitting in them fields see you up there, silhouetted against the sky, and you're done. Yeah, and you're you're typically silhouetted in a CRP field, especially. Um, someone mentioned on my in my I did my video on CRPs CRP fields uh, this week. Someone mentioned they they thought I looked sky lit up there, and I. Um, yeah, I saw that. The, um. I don't think it's going to be an issue in that tree, that particular tree. I mean, it'll be full of leaves here, but, mm-hmm. um, and there's brush behind me, but it does look like it. And if, you know, if I was hunting in, uh, no, like late November or something, then for sure. Um, you know, it's interesting to me is a lot of people say, you know, you got to hide behind a tree. And I don't agree with that at all. In yeah. All my years, you know, I hunt behind a tree and I hunt in front of the tree. I hunt behind a tree when I have to, because of the angle of the tree or something. Yeah. And I get busted a lot more behind a tree than I do in front of it. Hmm. Deer don't see like people. I mean, you blend in with the tree, whether the tree's behind you or in front of you, you know, as yeah. long as you're not wearing freaking white or something, you know, you, right. you blend right into the tree. But uh, when you're behind the tree, you have to peek around and stuff. You know what I mean? And that's what gets you busted. You have to silhouette yourself a little bit to get a shot around it. You know, you got something in your way. Um, getting in front of the tree is better. Um, but I, I always climb the tree from the back and hide behind it climbing and then just slide around the tree to the front after I get the stand on. Yeah. If to get into the, um, you know, the perfect spot in that tree, I have to cut some limbs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I could do that. No, we all that. There's spots where you have to be stuck out to the side a little bit, but you use yeah. back cover and that tree that you were looking at, obviously that's going to have heavy leaf cover. Yeah. Yeah, we don't lose our leaves here until, you know, into November. In, yeah, I into November. Yeah. Rut. I mean, we didn't have a leaf up here, and I go down there, and it was still green down there. I was like, Whoa. yeah, yeah. And that's why. That's why I was. Uh, you know, you you carry so many sticks with you, and down here, it's like there's not there's not a lot of reason to sometimes, especially if you're hunting. Um, you know, outside of the big hills and stuff, that you need to get high up. You know, there's there's not a lot of there's not a lot of lower um, leaf cover in the hills, but well, I need those sticks because I wear off the teeth on them a lot when I'm making fake rubs. Yeah, I hear you. 
is that is that why uh, they smoothed off the the old the the first run of beast gear sticks they were like really sharp and then you guys ended up rounding the bottoms off is that because uh everybody was making rubs in the dna rubs in the chill trees <laughs> we're worse than the uh dutch elm disease yeah i hear you yeah it's crazy up in uh i mean i've, I've been up to wisconsin enough now to um you guys aren't gonna have any trees in your swamps here in the next 10 years it's, it's just had insane today we were uh, coming back from dinner and i said look at that dude's property a guy we know yeah he's got a uh a 40 that's lowland in the middle of all of his fields and it's all ash and every single yeah. tree in his in his uh, 40 except for one willow tree is dead yeah Gosh. Dude, ash is going to go extinct elm's going to go extinct it's getting crazy and what's replacing it is that damn buckthorn which is invasive yeah it's a catch-22 deer love buckthorn they love to hide in it they love to bed in it they love to eat it the stuff uh, grows cover into mature forests where mature forests aren't really good for deer but you get buckthorn in there and it is but man it's going to kill out all the oaks it's going to kill out everything it just chokes out of woods and you can't stop this stuff you can yeah. cut it back the next year i mean that stuff is crazy yeah it's it sucks i don't yeah i don't know you won't have a tree set in here before too long but um i was going to ask you um something we used to do when i was growing up is we used to cut uh like paths in our C the crp you know we could, you're allowed to mow a certain percentage of it and we used to cut what we call deer pads in it and uh the last couple the last few years I mean, it's been more than that now the last five or eight years i haven't really messed with cutting paths in it and it seems like i've had better success not doing that mm -hmm. what do you you got any opinions on doing that for the deer like cutting paths for them and guiding them um, through i don't therapy? really cut paths for deer um but i i would imagine cutting one for myself would be not that bad of an idea if i wanted to have a if i had to have one single axis just making it that axis and then being able to cut off where i needed to that ain't a bad idea but i really don't like paths to begin with i like to um just come in at things from different directions and let the deer do their thing and figure them out yeah their own trails um i i don't think uh you, you know um I know where there's lots of paths cut that are in good spots for deer and you'll see deer go up and down them, but seldom do I see mature bucks go up and down them. You know, sometimes you'll see them on logging trails where people rarely walk and it's not really a cut path that stays cut. You know, it's just a, yeah. a logging path from over years. Um, but actually human trails, I don't really see them walk up and down those trails too often. You see them cross them. Not too much up and down. Sometimes during rut, they'll run a trail like that and scrape it up because because they're worked up. Right. Um, I really don't see them following human trails. I think there's a paranoia about the human scent, you know. Oh, I'm sure there is. Um, and I, I don't know. And we, open. Uh, I mean, if you look at a deer, I mean, watch what they do when 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 you try to kill them to stage them. It's kind of like turkeys, where people, you know, that they, they like your smart turkey hunters know that if they're sneaking in on a, you know, they're doing running gun, they're sneaking in on a turkey. They know they're not going to cut, call it past the fence line. They know they're not going to call it across the creek. You know, you know, right? Well, with yeah. a deer, those mature bucks when they move out of uh, out of bedding, you, you know, um, their staging area might be 
it might be 50 yards, it might be 75 yards, it might be 100 yards. Sometimes they move 200 yards in daylight. But what I've noticed is you can look at one, you can kind of tell where they're going to get to. And you say, okay, here's an opening. They're not going to go through that opening in daylight. They're kind of like the turkey ain't going to go across that fence. You know, you ain't going to hop the creek. Mm -hmm. uh, he might. I mean, I, I've called turkeys across rivers, but it's the exception, right? Right. Now, deer aren't going to just come walking out of that bedding area, hit an obstacle, and walk through it. You know what I mean? At least mature yeah. bucks usually aren't going to do that. So, you know, you want to push push those limits. Now, a trail is kind of making that opening. You know what I mean? It's making that mm -hmm. unnatural obstacle for them that they don't want to cross. They don't want to go down. So they're more more going to use something like that during the nighttime. So I think you're kind of wasting space. Anytime you you know like um, you go in and you create something for the deer where you're leaving human scent, you're kind of creating an area where you're telling that deer this is a human area. Stay out of here. I don't want the deer to stay out of any portion of my property. I want them to own it. I want I want them to think all the the humans are on the neighboring properties. Yeah. No, that's. It's a really good point. And yeah, that's, I, that's what I found the same thing. Like we, we used to spend so much time mowing and we, cause all we had was like a little four wheeler pull behind mower and it, it freaking break and bog down and everything else. You know, we'd spent so much time. And I'm just, um, I'll, yeah. I'll tell you something. I, um, you know, I scout a lot of properties for people. Yeah. My, um, my free time. And, uh, I get a lot of, this happens to me a lot, but I'll just give one example. This guy in western wisconsin he has me go look at his property and the guy is a really good hunter kills a lot of deer i think a lot of it's because he puts himself on the right himself on the right properties well he ended up uh, getting a hold of a property that was you know like four or five hundred acres it's just a huge property and it was in a prime area and he uh, he had a couple other land managers come out there he had me come out there set it up for him and he come back to me and he says uh, i'm having an issue he says i don't get it he says uh, he goes i got a couple neighbors uh that got like little 40s and they don't really have anything on their property um just woods no real good terrain or anything and you know they're not really hunters but they go out their gun season opening weekend and he says uh the one neighbor three years in a row is shot in bigger bucks than we get on our cameras. You might get one buck like that on a camera. And the guy just shoots the first buck that walks in. He keeps getting these big ones. And the guy on the other end keeps getting big ones. I don't get it. And uh, what I told him and what I knew was the answer was the reason his property is so full of younger deer that move off when they get older is because every freaking day he's out there checking trail cameras every day he's setting up mock scrapes every day he's setting up his little toys for the deer with a rope that has a slide on it and stuff and, and i told him this and he's like well i get all these pictures and stuff and i'm like well you're trying to get pictures to hang on the wall or a deer which all one right. do you, want? you know you want great photographs or you, or you want to kill them which is it because if you're putting all that human scent out there even if you're putting all kinds of food out there but he, I mean, he's literally, he's either putting food plots out there or he's, you know, setting up mock scrapes or he's setting cameras or, you know, the guy was running well over a hundred cameras on that property, you know, and checking them like weekly, he had an ATV trail going to, him. you know, you're pushing those deer off. And, and my point really goes back to your trails. 
the more yeah. you're on there, the more you're doing, the more you're you're altering that property for you rather than the deer. Yeah, I mean, you might think you're making the deer a trail, but I don't think those deer really want a trail like that. I mean, yes, you know, some stuff can get too thick for a buck to get his rack through, but um, there's some give and take. You know what I mean? I think there's situations right. where a trail might be a good thing, but I think they're rare. Yeah, I don't. That's 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 what I've exactly what I've noticed is like the. I mean, we had a we had a trail um, mode not too far. Uh, from those two bucks that went across the CRP into the, um, you know, into the bean field and they didn't, they didn't use it, you know? Um, and I mean, I don't, I mean, they can, I don't think it's any problem for them to walk through a you know, CRP grass that's, you know, belly high to them or whatever the case may be. You know, I, I don't think they really need a trail per se, like you said. Um, and I, I've just found that in general, like, you know, I guess if I had a, bunch of whole bunch of money that I could plant 10 acres of food plots or something like that. Um, maybe it'd make a difference, but whenever I plant my, you know, quarter acre or half acre food plot, I just like, ah, sometimes I just don't know altering that small of a thing really helps me or, or if I, you know, your time's better spent, um, scouting a little bit or whatever, you know, um, I don't know. I know it's not an option this year. I can't. I can't plant my food plots in the CRP field because it's going to be beans or something. So <laughs> yeah, it kind of sucks because you don't really have on on that property. You don't have much timber. None. I mean, that's a very big property, but you have very few trees. Yeah. So yep. losing your CRP is probably a big deal. Yeah, it definitely was an area to hold deer. That is going to be gone now. Now that bedding area that I that I think is the main one out there. It's still, it's not going to go anywhere. It's like a low ditch area that they're, they're not going to be able to farm that. It'll, they'll farm around that. So hopefully that's a still a, you know, primary area for them to be in. Um, yeah. It might help you for a year or two that you um, actually, if the deer is still there and they got no place to hide, it might be easier to kill. They might travel through there a little more predictable. However, yeah. they, you know, you're going to kill them and they're not going to be there no more. And so it's going to get worse in the long run. Yep. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I'll, maybe they'll change their mind. Who knows? <laughs> um, all right. We'll be on for an hour. We're going to start doing some uh, question and answers. If you want to call in, scroll to the top of the comments, and you'll see that before the echo commented on there, and there's a link you can copy into the your uh, on your phone internet or your uh, computer internet and and it'll bring you in and then you can ask your question live here uh, on the on the show but we did have some um, questions this one's from move outdoors you find crp bedding remains consistent in early and mid-october or is it primarily an early season bedding location i don't know um from my point of view um I find it consistent uh, the most in early season and in uh, late season, but uh, it can be rut bedding too. I mean, you can get all kinds of bedding. You can get primary bedding out there, um, but more early season and late season to me, and probably more early season because late season, you know, you lose a lot of your uh, cover 
and if it's already yeah, yeah. sparse cover, then it, then it kind of tends to stick them back into more thicker stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, I I I definitely see them in our CR, CRP uh, in early season a little bit thicker. Um, just seems like as the year goes on, the CRP starts laying down and all that kind of stuff. You know, after it dies off, but um, yeah, snow seems to be a real big damper to it. Um, but you know, some of the stuff I'm thinking about in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about some stuff that's a little bit thicker and sometimes it holds them in late season. Yeah. But definitely not as good as other terrains. No, early season is probably the best for, uh, CRP. And sometimes at the beginning of rut can be pretty good. Um, so I can't find the comment on here, but someone asked if, uh, you would treat clear cuts the same way. Yeah. Pretty much the same thing. Yeah, I think with clear cuts, it probably depends on the age of them, right? I mean, after however many years, it gets pretty nasty in those usually. Yeah, but, you, you know, clear cuts, cattails, all that stuff. I mean, you know, thicker to better. I mean, you can get the CRP where it's not really CRP no more. It gets real thick too, right? Yeah. Um, it all has stages as it gets thicker and stuff, um, but it's all got similarities, right? Yeah, That's for sure. You, you know, definitely, you know, with a clear cut, you're going to get more late season bedding. Matter of fact, uh, you probably got more food in there with clear cuts. You know, you're talking usually timbered areas where there's not a lot of crops where CRP, you're talking crops. So um, yeah. in wooded areas, they're going to flock to those um, slashings or whatever. There's clear cuts for um, food. So they're going to have better late season bedding. We have some clear cuts in the Huger National Forest that, uh, I mean, they're the stem count in there. So there's so many, you know, little saplings in there. It's like, I don't know, you, you really couldn't penetrate it. Um, but I think the deer probably just bet on the outside of it and, you know, on the, Down on the transitions. Side. Yeah. When you're really thick, what, what the bucks do is if there's a way to get in there, they'll go in there and they'll bet at like islands or transitions. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, they love to bet on the downwind side. Of, of clear cuts especially if you know a lot of clear cuts um what they'll do is they'll cut a flat area right all the way up to where it drops off because that's what they can cut easily and then they'll go move on to the next area right so those bucks will get the perfect situation on that downwind side with a hill coming out of there going down and they can they can bed right on the edge of that hill like in the, the leeward tunnel on the downwind side but even if it's flat or even if it tapers down in the swamp, they love the downwind side, the clear cuts. And then they'll use the clear cut to escape. If something's coming at them from the open woods, they'll go, they'll dive into the thick. And if they smell something in the clear cut, they just slip off into the swamp or down the hill or whatever. Yep. This is a question. I don't think I've ever heard anybody ask you this, Dan. So this is from Moby Mike Pumpkins. And maybe you've been asked this. I just never heard you uh, heard heard it before. But have you noticed in early season that deer go back to bed later in the morning when it's foggy? Hmm. Um. Can't say I have. Yeah. I haven't noticed that. I've I've uh, I've noticed that they're in their beds, you know, before daylight a lot in early season. Um. The only the only um, thing I've noticed that's put them in their beds more in daylight and early season 
um, you know, coming to the beds later is when a storm hits, you know, like in the afternoon and it goes into the night, like a wicked, nasty storm, you, you know, and the trees blowing over kind of thing. And then it stops sometimes like middle of the night. Well, it's like those deer get a later start and then they come back later. Hmm. And I've noticed that, uh, and I, I actually, I killed a really big eight pointer on that theory. Got him coming back to his bed in, uh, in daylight. Um, so the storms, I think make them hold up for a while and they get into their feeding pattern and go about their, their pattern later into the night. And then, uh, back to their beds later in the morning but uh as far as the fog i haven't seen that affect him um maybe there's something i'm missing that he's seeing that i haven't seen but i've never seen a correlation there personally how about you um i can't say i have uh but the moby mike pumpkins he said he notices on foggy mornings i'd catch them almost every time i mm. i mean i don't i can't i guess That's i don't i haven't I haven't hunted enough foggy mornings per se to, I mean, I guess to pattern it or something, I guess. I don't know. We do get some fog around here, but some, some areas you don't get much fog. Um, that's yeah, interesting. We do in the bottoms here, but I don't hunt the bottoms very often. When I say the bottoms, that's a Southern Indiana term. It's the, it's mm -hmm. the flooding areas, but um, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, Moby Mike. Uh Guys, call in. Uh, I wasn't going to bribe you with this, but we, uh, Dan agreed if someone would, would call in and ask a question, we'd send you a, a, a DVD. I did? So, yep. What am I sending? That's what, that's what you, you said. I don't know which one you want to send. I don't know. We got the new uh, Big Woods one. Uh, Big Woods one? That, yeah. Otherwise, I guess if they, you know, if they got that or whatever, I'd give one of the other ones or whatever. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to have to pay attention this year to the fog thing. Um, I don't hunt a lot of mornings in general just because of work. I usually, um, you know, work in the mornings early and then go hunting in the evenings, which I think you do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I don't I don't get a lot of, uh, you know, I guess morning hunts in other than on Saturdays, Saturday morning sometimes if I get up. You, when you were uh, – um making my mind wander with that DVD crap. Um, I was remembering a hunt. I shot a really big eight pointer in, in a uh, foggy morning in the early season. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. That's something yep. you could, I mean, that's something you got, a guy could pay attention to because there's usually fog, you know, forecasts and stuff. You can, you, you know, the, you thing, the thing with me is um, I'm always trying to reason. I want to know what, a reason why, you know, why would fog? Yeah, I wonder if it does something with scent. If it makes them uncomfortable, obviously they can't see, and then I don't know. I don't know. I would think if it slowed them down, if it got them under routine, slower or something. I don't. Know. Yep. I don't know, but it's an interesting concept. Yeah, great and, question. And considering I can think of a deer that I did shoot in the morning 